You're listening to the Punisher Waterfowls, the Union 0430 podcast. Brought to you by Real Geese Decoys, the most technological advanced silhouette decoys on the market, and Vortex Canada, the force of optics. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Union 0430 episode 106 and we've got a gooder for you today. We've got Ronnie and Logan from Hurtland Waterfowl um, coming in uh, as well as Bobby Hayes from Ducklander Calls. Bobby sort of kind of got this all together for us after me kind of doing what I do and tormenting them and, and <laughs> asking asking them to do favors for me and stuff like that, which I have no way to repay them. But someday, I promise, Bobby, I'll get you back. Um, light crew today, you can see Dave and just Dave and I from the union crew. The rest of the boys are, are at work. Um, Dave and I, not so much. Um, and we've got the boys coming to us from, tell us where you're hailing from, fellas. We're in right now just outside of Kansas City in Greenwood, Missouri. This is, the, this is the global the heartland waterfowl global hq there you go there you go <laughs> the world headquarters that's right of, of heartland waterfowl so i i'm really stoked i i done a we done a a social media blast this morning just to say hey listen um we're doing this show with the heartland guys um and it'll be available on Monday. That's the first of August, I believe. Um, so this episode, we'll record it now. It'll it'll go live on uh, on the first of August. So we're pretty excited, fellas. Like you got to understand that that Dave and I are still getting used to meeting some of the names that we're getting used that we're meeting here. Um, like Bobby, now you guys, and 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 the whole hockey sock full of other names of people that we've had on the show and guests and great friends that we've made. So um, d- don't judge us if we're a little bit starstruck when we get <laughs> jumped and we and we and we trip over our words a little bit. Uh, you know, but we're we're pretty excited to say I, the least. I'm still trying to figure out how to use hockey sock. And <laughs> I know. When, whenever I do these with them, it's like I'm watching Fargo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is it Fargo or is it Letterkenny? Letterkenny. Well, that's I, what I was thinking of. You can do both. Yeah. 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 I always think of the sheriff in Fargo. Fargo's Minnesota, right? No, yeah, North Dakota. It, uh, it sounds, it sounds <laughs> yeah. the same. Yeah. It's the same general sound. North Dakota. Yeah. Yeah. North Dakota, right. Sorry. Sorry. So, fellas, I really wanted to jump right into this. So, um, Logan, I watched I watched that video of uh of you guys up in Canada with that with that duck hunt uh that's on the channel there right now. And I I really wanted to start it because you guys are in the Mississippi in the central flyway. Like you guys aren't hurting for birds uh, or at least that's the perception that I get. And I'm just wondering, like, why are you guys making the trip up to Canada? I know you haven't done it in a couple of years, but why are you making that trip up to Canada um, to get at birds when you have so many down in your own? I, I love that you're coming to Canada, but. I mean, it, it's really the best. It, it really doesn't matter the province you go to. Um, but I mean, you're getting the birds first, right? Um, right. It's the first thing they see um, after, you know, good hatch, bad hatch, whatever it is. Um, and and honestly, we we go up there to sh- and target snow geese. Um, that's really what we're going up there for. And I mean, really, regardless of what you're going up there for, it, once again, it's the best. But um, in, in regards to the snow geese and what we're going up there for, you know, it's the first time to, to 
chance to get the juvies. Um, honestly, they're just a lot more vulnerable. Um, the people are great. I mean, that's probably the biggest thing um, that we notice versus hunting in the States. Um, and in Canada, the people are awesome. Um, the birds are dumb. Yeah. 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 Are you both going to target snow geese? Well, (laughs) actually, I, you know, so the Bobby's cracking a joke there because Logan is a big time snow goose hunter. He loves to hunt snow geese and I, it's not my favorite. I would much Mm -hmm. shut up and go chase ducks every time. Um, (laughs) However, you know, I don't mind chasing snow geese in, in Saskatchewan because it's just a lot different up there. And Logan hit on a lot of the points. Obviously it's a lot easier to get on land, the permission Mm -hmm. Uh, farmers are awesome to work with uh, or the landowners. And um, you know, the, you know, you get into those big 40 to 60,000 feeds of juvies, you know, and, and they haven't seen a whole lot of spreads (laughs) and they haven't seen a whole lot of hunters yet. And so they're not as educated so it's a lot more fun when, by the time they get down here to us, they're a lot more educated and it's a lot Obviously. more challenging to get on them. So not that ducks can't be, but snow geese is, they're just, it's either, it's like Logan always says, high risk, high reward. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, especially in the fall too, in, in, in Canada, you use an e-collar mm-hmm. uh, and that's a big deal. Um, we can't do that in the States in the fall. Oh, okay. Okay. So, um, you know, we still hunt snow geese in the fall, but you know, you're running mouth calls and it's, it's really hard to mimic, mimic all that sound, but. Um, the, the hunting definitely changes on the snow goose too, from early, say early September, we go up to the first week, October typically. And then, you know, by the time they get to us middle of November, um, they're a lot more congregated down here, bigger groups. Um, it seems like there's no juvies to be found and, um, the, the hunting really changes. It makes it a lot more difficult. Um, they're roosting in different spots than they would up North. I mean, they just really change um what they're doing and you know the further they come south the harder it gets i'm just picturing these guys like hunting in canada and then going back to the states and hunting where they are and like the snow geese are harder because they've been all us canadians have screwed it up for them <laughs> they're just in the blind singing that blame canada song right since we're in the middle of the country right yeah we could yeah, have yeah. snow geese for a month and if you scout that, it could be a 20,000 bird feed, but there'll be no juvies on the edge of that okay. feed. There's, there's nothing to hunt if there's no juvies. Yeah, they really start to get in pockets um, when they're coming down. Like, you'll find a pocket of juvies or you'll find a pocket of adult birds, and you'll know real quick, you know, by the way your hunt's going, you know, where you're at. And obviously, you can pay attention to that while you're scouting and, um, you know, look for gray um, in the fields. And, and we do that and try to get it, find a field that has good ratios of juvies. Um, but you know, some years are better than others and the hatch is, you know, good or bad and it makes things difficult. So the, a couple of things I want to just on what you touched on there. So first off, when you're, when you're talking about, um, comparing it to, to hunting stateside, like getting, getting land permission and, and stuff like that, the pressure, uh, Compared to where you are, the hunting pressure, and and this is probably a pretty stupid frigging question, but I'm going to get it out there anyways. But comparing what you're used to with the number of people that's that's out trying to get the the permissions compared to Saskatchewan or Alberta, I, I'm assuming it's it's not even close. Um, it depends. Like so, 
I would say the last time we were in Canada, what, two, three years ago, right before COVID, the year before COVID, um, it Canada, Saskatchewan was super crowded. Um, okay. And that played a big role because the fuel prices were so cheap. Um, it made it a lot easier for people to get up there. So like um, getting away from people while we were up there three years ago was a very, very difficult thing. Now, take that back six, seven years ago when fuel prices were not quite as high as what they were. And there's not very many people around um, from me noticing. The other thing that plays a role around where we're at is you guys have vast amount of farmland where we're hunting around here for the most part is, you know, there's, you know, a city here, a city there. And right. it's not so much that there's more people out hunting on a regular basis, but there's always somebody that's looking at those birds or there's always right. somebody that's looking at those birds consistently throughout the week. And it might be a group of, you know, 20 different groups of hunters, but they're all looking at the same birds that they might only hunt one time that week, you know, versus when people are up in Canada, they're hunting every single day. There's yeah. trucks they're on vacation all the time. Um, so it's, a you know, a little bit different. Um, you know, and you guys just have so many birds, like they're just so congregated together um, mm -hmm. versus when they get down here, they're spread out all over the place. And I mean, it's just a different animal, really. Plus, you got Heartland Waterfowl on TV showing how easy it is. Go to Saskatchewan. And, you know, I'm just kidding. Well, well, I'm not going to take the well, credit. You know that. what? Like that, and, but that's a good point because, and this is something I wanted to get into later on, but um, when watching your guys' videos, so A, um, I really like the fact of, of the amount of uh, importance you guys put on scouting. And then... If you look at that Canada hunt, like Logan, you guys said, we didn't even bring waders. We got no waders. We've got no floaters. Um, if people think it's easy just by watching a video, well, then really pay attention to what's going on here because you guys have been coming to Canada. You've been doing the hunts. Um, and and you just, I guess I'll, I'll use the term tunnel vision. You you This is what worked. Um, this is what we're going to do. And then you get up to Canada and you're like, oh man, I wish we had some floaters, wish we had some waders. And thank goodness you had a dog in order to, uh, in order to pick up those birds for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we we're typically not hunting water, um, in Canada, unless it's maybe the spring and there's a bunch of sheet water or something, but, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we don't, we don't bring any floaters. Um, but yeah, we may do, it's one of those things that, you know, we found that spot and it's like, you can't pass up this opportunity you <laughs> yeah. know you have to figure out a way to make it work um but yeah i mean back to your scouting the scouting is the number one important thing that we do mm -hmm. um, we pride ourselves in that and to be successful you have to do that that's the number one important thing is to be where the birds want to be um and if you do that all the other things fall in place with the second most important thing being to hide yourself if you are where the birds you want to be and you hide yourself for the most part, you're going to have a pretty successful hunt. I mean, obviously there's a lot more elements that go into that other than that, but for us, those are the two major variables, especially when we have cameras involved is we got to be able to hide ourselves. And obviously we are trying to finish birds at 20 yards versus maybe um, the guy down the road from us. That's, you know, doesn't care if he's taking that 40 yard passing shot, you know, we right. have to have feet down, try to get them on camera. So, you know, being right where they want to be, and hiding ourselves, hiding our cameras, that's, those are the two most important things for us. I know Bobby, we've asked Bobby this question on the show before, and I actually, it was Dave that asked him the question, but we've asked Bobby in the past, like, 
what would you tell someone to buy first that they were getting into into duck hunting? And and Bobby's like, buy a set of binos before you buy a duck call, right? And yeah. and and that is so true. Like, how many fellas or ladies or whoever, um, how many people go out and they're like, well, I need this and I need this and I need this, um, but forget on optics. Yeah, I would say that even when I got into waterfowl hunting, it was um, it was a situation where uh, a guy had had leased a pit blind uh, up in northern Missouri, and basically they had their flooded corn, and it's basically they just show up, and then they hunt like that's their mm -hmm. spot that they hunt every single time. So I wasn't really, even though I was introduced to it in a lot of great ways, the one thing that that was missing from that was the scouting element. And then until I started really hunting with Logan a lot that I realized the importance of that. So it's a really good point. Like if you really want to be the hardcore, you know, and, you know, set yourself up for success every single time you go, then focus on the, you know, learn as much as you can about the scouting element before you learn about how to blow a duck call. Because I mean, I think even Bobby will tell you, like, if you are on the X, then the, the calling I mean, you can turn birds if the weather conditions aren't great and you got to work a little bit harder, but it's just more confidence in getting those birds to be there. I mean, but if you're on the X, then you're set, you're, you're, you're positioned pretty well to be successful. Wouldn't you agree with that? Oh, hundred percent. Hit them on the corners, right, Bobby? The, that's right. The, the other <laughs> thing scouting does, scouting teaches you about the bird itself. Yeah. So the more knowledge you have about it, the more respect you give it, it, it just makes everything better. Oh, for sure. And it, we'll, we'll sit there and we'll be like, how was your scout that evening? And we'll, you know, three or four trucks come back like, eh, I don't know about mine. I, I don't, all right, we're not hunting in the morning. We're scouting. Mm -hmm. And it, it sucks. It's a shitty thing. Uh, yeah. Everyone wants to go out and hunt, but mm -hmm. like we're to the point to where, you know, we have a goal of producing an episode on this trip and we have to make sure that we put forth the best hunt we possibly can. And if it doesn't look like it's going to work out for us, or there's some iffy, maybe there's no wind that day and you know, the birds didn't show up or they're bouncing around. Hey, let's just take a step back, spend the next morning to scout. Maybe we can do an afternoon hunt, or maybe we just uh, scout all day the next day so we can have a better hunt the following day. Yeah. That's the life of a TV producer. Cause it comes down to what's your time worth. You know, we could go out there and if we were just hunting for the sake of hunting, then maybe if it was a, mediocre or less than mediocre scout then we could go out there and probably pick on a few but mm -hmm. for us our what's our time worth and it's not worth our time to go out there and potentially fail when we could give it another morning scout and potentially hunt the next day or later that afternoon and and i think that we're so i had after our episode with bobby i had a a guy locally to me come up and say like dude why do you put so much emphasis on binoculars like I just kind of go and when I see them in the air, I just drive and I find the field that they're in and that's good enough. And I said, man, there's more to scouting than just finding the field they're in. Like, look where they are in that field. Have you ever set up in the field and they just, I'm not landing in where you are. They land somewhere else, right? Like get those binoculars, man. Yeah. That, I just want to make sure that was pointed out so that uh, my buddy locally, when he's listening, can hear that. Well, I need to know if there's a hide. I need to know what species I'm shooting. I need to know. If it's a big goose or a little goose, which can be hard to tell from a thousand yards, mm -hmm. there's a lot you need to know. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's the thing. You're not just looking at the birds while you're scouting. It's yeah. like, all right, where, how are you getting into the field? In yeah. The morning? That's there's... something that everybody misses is how are we getting into the more in the morning? Where's yes. the field entrance, you know? And then 
Hey, where are you going to hide in the field according yeah. to where the birds are landing? Yes. Are, are these birds coming in big groups, small groups, first thing in the morning? Are they flying out first thing in the morning? Are they sitting until 10 a.m.? What, what are they doing? Is the hide better where the birds are not, but we can put them there? Yeah. yeah I mean, there's, can, can you cut Can them you off? pull them? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Some of us eyes aren't as good as they used to be. And sometimes you can <laughs> pull them. And many times you can, but sometimes you can't. And so those birds know where they want to be. And then you're setting up because you have to be in this particular location because the hide's better, but they still want to be in that one particular spot. So they shortstop you at 80 yards or 100 yards, whatever it is. So you, if you don't have the binos, then it, it's hard to evaluate what you need to do to position yourself for success. Well, like the other thing, like, I don't know what they do up there, but where I'm at. We should have big geese and little geese. Well, if they're mixed and you're a thousand little geese and 50 big geese, it might not be a hunt. Yeah. Yeah. That may be one set of little geese. Yeah. And There's nothing there. Yeah. In your, your area, for yeah. sure, you have a hundred, 150 big geese. You got a hunt. Yeah. You, that's you a got, hunt. You got a good hunt. Yeah. Especially, you know, you're running smaller groups, you know, mm-hmm. three, four guys. That's a perfect. That's a good hunt. And Honestly, some people overlook some of that stuff. Yeah. Like it's not always the number of birds that it's going to the field while you're scouting. It's, it's everything involved with the scouting, you know, just like I said with, with him, you know, hundred, 150 birds for three or four guys, you know, coming to a little cattle pond. And oh, that's at least five bunches of birds exactly. that you're going to finish. You know, you saw him go in there that morning before you're like, Hey, they came in 10 groups. We're going to get 10 goes at this. Yes. And you know it, you know, and you can sit there and count them all morning long. You know, well, you especially know it if you can see that there's a height. Yep. Yeah. See, we don't have to worry about as much stuff up here because we don't have the Canadians already shooting at birds and screwing it up for you Americans like you guys do. <laughs> <laughs> and the only other thing I'll add to that, too, is that when you're actually sitting there watching the birds, I like to when I'm scouting and I'm sitting there and I know that they're coming to this particular watershed or field is. I want to look off in the distance. Where are they coming from? Are they coming from one roost? Are they coming from a couple different roosts? Are they so that when we're set up in the field, are they going to be coming from behind us? Are they going to be coming from three different locations? And sometimes you don't know that because as you're watching the field and you're only watching what's right there in front of you, you're not paying attention to what direction they're coming from. All of a sudden they just appear. So I I think that's another key element is knowing where they're coming from. Oh, no. That's super relevant because if it's two roost or three roost that yeah. they're coming to it, that's a different spread yep. than one roost in one line. Boys, my my uh, my video's crapping out here. So um, if, if there's a lull, please take over because I don't know what what's going on. Um, I did want to talk about, because I want to put this in here when, when you were saying, you know, the people in Canada are so nice. Well, listen, don't sell Missouri so short either. I was in Fort Leonard Wood, so I'm ex-military, retired after 20 years. Um, Was in Fort Leonard Wood for about six months back a few years ago um, and uh, looked at this guy at at the engineer school that I was at. And and I said, uh, listen. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah, see, I can't continue with his story. I don't know where he's going. <laughs> yeah. I think he so, was trying to tell us how great the Missouri residents are. I, yeah. I got I got a question. You're talking about your buddy, you know, with the binoculars and everything. And um, do you feel like Canadians might be a little bit behind the times a little bit <laughs> when it comes to the the waterfowl hunting? Like, do you guys feel like you're always learning from people in the States, so to speak? I think I do feel that we're behind. Um and in two manners, like one is we kind of like, we wait for the shows to come out to see what's going on and what new products are coming out. 
But number two on that is like actually getting a lot of products and stuff is hard. So for example, right now I'm, I'm in the midst of thinking about switching to a, a 28 gauge just with my clavicle. Right. Um, and I'm looking at all these guns and stuff. Well, the stuff that available down in the States versus what's available up here, we're about a year or two behind being able to get it. Mm. And it, like even the ammo, right? Like it, it's just different, but, um, thanks Trudeau. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I wasn't bringing him up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. The other thing is, is that like, I, I don't, f- how to put it properly. I don't think that because like we talked about it, like the, the pressures that you guys have, the birds being pressured all the way down till they get to you. We don't really have that up here. So it's, we don't have to use a lot of the tactics that you guys come up with and use. Right. Like I watch a lot of the stuff that uh, uh, Bobby puts out on the Instagram and, and those little short, quick training videos that he does. And it's just like, man, a lot of this, some of the stuff we've never thought about because we're, they're not that pressured. Right. So it's kind of a, well, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong too, but your birds are typically always on the move. Like, I mean, you have consistent roosts every year, but like, I feel like, the birds bounce around and they're, they're wanting to, to obviously move South and obviously they stay put for a time period. And maybe later on in the year, um, some of those tactics would come more into play for you guys um, versus early in the year. Um, when you kind of get that group of birds that's, you know, is going to hang around for a while um, and maybe get um, a little more pressure than say the birds in the early season that are, you know, trying to just make their way South. But yeah. uh, I mean, I found, especially in my my area. So we got a one week uh, rifle season for deer. And that's kind of the break point of like guys will hunt waterfowl up until deer season. And then they'll try and get their deer tag with rifle. And if they don't get it with rifle, they're out with the bow crossbows up here. Everyone can use a crossbow. Right. So then that kind of, it doubly takes the pressure off all the birds. So yeah, they're on the move, but that's, we don't really see them not on the move. Um, Last year was a rough year with the birds, especially be different. Yeah. But be like going from us to the Dakotas. Yeah. Yeah. They're always, it seems like they're always wanting to, you know, hop south and yeah. like, you have to wait. I wait until like for us around here, my opinion would be like December, right? Yep. Like so, prime around here. So I've never asked Ronnie or Logan about this, but I could probably give you the answer. Uh, so Kansas, Oklahoma, and then Missouri, Arkansas. We're now both wintering states for waterfowl. So hunting wintering birds is completely different than hunting migrating birds in the Dakotas. Totally different hunt. Yeah, but I bet you view that same oh, way. Yeah, for, yeah. Sh- for sure. Um, I mean, just the North Dakota is, is about as similar as you can get to Canada. Right. Um, with the terrain, the big open fields, yeah, the birds are always on the move. But yeah, I mean as far as wintering birds, like December prime time, like what I feel like you would be able to use those tactics that you're talking about watching Bobby do is your late season. Um, the birds that are, you know, just sticking around, get on the river, you know, getting it out. They've been there for a while. That's, that's the stuff that he's referring yeah. to. Am I right? Yeah. Like I, I am not trafficking big honkers yeah. in Kansas in December or January. There's no point. If there's snow on the ground, we That's, got we got a different story. Yeah, but, but that doesn't happen much. If they're in there, or it's really really cold, and you've you know yes. got an ice ripper out there and opened up some water. Yes, but just day in and day out, they're on these. I call them a soft X. They feed in four fields throughout that same day. 
good luck. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Sorry, guys. Not trying to be rude. Just trying to get oh, figured out with Damien. Yeah. No. No good. worries. Yeah. So we're gonna try and, and get him back on, but. And I'm, I'm going to ask the question because I don't know, but it feels like when we go up to Canada and we're, you know, bouncing around from one landowner to another, um, it almost seems like a majority of the time that they're getting hit up for someone wanting to hunt their land. It's somebody from the States as opposed to somebody locally is, which would allow me to think that maybe waterfowl hunting isn't just as popular as, you know, deer hunting, moose hunting, some of the big game hunting that they have up there in Saskatchewan. Now I've never hunted outside of Saskatchewan. I've never done Manitoba or any other province, but um, it just from the, from an a outsider, I guess it seems that, you know, a majority of the waterfowl hunting that happens in Canada happens from people that come from the States. What, what, what do you think of that? Yeah. Um, How many hunters are in Canada that hunt waterfowl? That, I have no that's idea. That's the real question. Cause they say that like only 10% of the hunters in Canada are from the States, I think of the license sold, but that, I Is mean, that right? that's going to go, I don't know, but that's, you got to think about that. That's for everything. That's you big know, area as too. far as waterfowl, I feel like when I see them like Canadians out hunting, it's like, and, or, and talk to them, they're always just like, uh, you know, we kind of just get burnt out with it. You know, Hey, we mm -hmm. shot it. We shot enough. We're good. You know, type thing. It's not really a obsession, I guess. Um, it's definitely not something that they would travel to go and on a trip to hunt for the most part, you know, it's just a local, Hey, I got a little bit of time between harvest. It, this looks like fun. There's been a lot of geese in this field, or there's been a lot of birds on the slough or whatever the case may be. But for the most part, I don't, we don't run into a lot of Canadian hunters while we're up there. But you know, really traveling to duck hunt for the States guys for us is a newer 15. When I started making calls, there was nobody taking 10 people to Canada. Yeah. You might have a couple guys that would go up at, or maybe a three like a group of four usually. Yeah. Yep. But you are not taking the trailer up in the rig and doing all that. That's a newer thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Welcome back, Damien. <laughs> He's froze again, maybe. Somewhat. <laughs> you are going to have to buy a Tesla and maybe Elon will up your satellite. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even got audio from you're, you. You're, you're muted, Dud. I think you're muted. Like who brought the new guy onto the show? <laughs> like, holy smokes, fellas! Um, but, just, but, just, yeah, go for it, Dave. No, it's exactly what you're saying. I find up here, especially like, God, I hope a lot of people don't hear this, but like, they kind of hunt waterfowl for September, October until the rut in November for deer, and then they kind of switch right to deer. And it's like, man, that's when the waterfowl hunting's getting good. Mm -hmm. But you know what? Keep doing that, boys, because. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I would say even here, like the amount of guys actually hunting decreases a lot after Thanksgiving. When it gets cold. Yeah. Like that first week of December when we normally get ice you can walk on. Yep. It drops mm -hmm. off a lot. Yeah. When it gets cold, um, you know, Missouri, we have that two week deer season. So it's a really good time to yeah. hunt too. That's also harder to get on land. Yeah. Yeah that that cold i kind of call that like the people that waterfowl hunt as a hobby are the ones that stay out and then they're done when it's cold mm -hmm. and then the guys that are obsessed are the ones that are still out there like icicles off their nose because you know like those are the obsessed ones right so that's how i look at it and, yeah. how many acres does the average farmer own up there so where i'm located it's like a farm is 100 acres right but like some guys how many, have how many four, does a row crop guy own up there 
Type. Like, what does it take to run his to run his farm? Like, like in Saskatchewan? Sure, I don't care. Yeah, uh, thousands. That's yeah, what I, I mean, thought. In the, yeah, the farmers that we're talking to are what do they own? Ten to thirty thousand, yeah. and, and yeah. they might only own half of that and lease the other half. A is lot it, of them. Is it contingent? No, no. Um, but I mean, there are. I mean, seen fields that are fifteen hundred, two thousand acres. Right. One field. You know, so. These guys know where I hunt mostly. I think the largest rancher we have down there owns 1,500 in contingent the touches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I mean, you may have some guy you hunt on that owns three, but it could be in three counties. You also got to realize that you're in a, where you hunt and where we like to hunt a lot yeah. is kind of different than I know. anywhere else in the country. Yeah. With the way that the train, the rolling hills. Right. And the, the small cattle ponds, mm-hmm. like it's a completely different style of hunting. Those guys would just be like, mm-hmm. what are we doing? Here? Right. <laughs> but, and it's a, it's a different way of scouting. And I think, yeah, I think that kind of is where Bobby and I and Ronnie can all relate when the scouting stuff is because we've scouted a lot of the same stuff and it's, it's a more difficult, um, here is kind of the same way when you get the rolling Hills, you can lose birds really easily. Um, they can tuck behind the trees. There's a ton of trees. So like, you know, getting to high points and, you know, sometimes it takes a few days to actually figure out what's going on. Oh, yeah, you have to know what you're doing because you're going to lose them or you're going down a road trying to follow them. And then the road just stops. Yep. Whereas up there, you know, you guys got mile grids for the most part, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to make it through. We don't, we don't have that where we're right. <laughs> now, Do you guys have it where around me anyway, there's a lot of, um, a lot of people will own a hundred acre farm, but they'll rent all the acreage out to a, a guy that's, you know, working the land and he's, he's got a ton of that land that he's working. Yeah. That's, that's yep. what we deal with a lot around here. Right. Yeah. So, and that's where it com- becomes difficult because you can see the guy out doing the work and you know who it is. And then you can talk to him about, okay, well, who owns this? So. Well, essentially what I was asking is, so if you're up there and you get permission, you've got permission on a big swath. Of area oh yeah. Where, when we get permission, it is maybe on that. Mm-hmm. And that's uh-huh. it. Yeah. So, to go along with that that's one thing that has really changed in canada since we started going you know 10 years ago so when you first when we first went up there and like you said there wasn't as many people as say today um or when fuel prices were you know really good but um yeah one farmer might have twenty thousand. back in the day he'd be like yeah no problem hunt it all week don't bother me anymore right Mm -hmm. now there's been so much competition people have getting pissed off, you know, and they're trying to keep the peace. Like I, I believe some of these towns even have meetings before the season starts really? to get the farmers together to say, Hey, let's all just make a pact that if you're given permission, you're given permission for the next day. Right. You know, you're not given permission for the whole week, or you're not just saying, go ahead, do whatever you want, because then, you know, people can, you're not going to have the arguments. People aren't going to be pissed off. You're not going to have people, you know, going to the same field. And I would say that has changed tremendously over the last 10 years of farmers now saying, Hey, if you want to hunt it tomorrow, that's fine. But you need to let me know if you're going to hunt it again. Mm-hmm. Um, so I make sure somebody else isn't in there because I'm doing first come first serve. Right. And we've been beating the fields. I can't tell you oh, how yeah. many times, um, you know, the last couple of times we've been up there where they're like, sorry, I just gave permission for tomorrow. But if you would like to hunt it the next day, right. you're fine. And it's like, no, that's no right. deal. If I want to, I'll come back and ask. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got, they don't understand. You have to look at this again. Whereas, you know, six, yeah. seven years ago, you know, I remember farmers be like, yeah, do what you want on everything. Don't bother me anymore. Um, you talk to me, you're good. Right. You know, but I will say this, 
that every, if, you know, we get the plot maps when we go up there. So we mm -hmm. kind of have an idea yeah. of who owns what. And mm -hmm. if I see that this guy has, you know, quite a bit of field or quite a bit of acreage, um, and there's a potential based on where the water is and where the roost might be. Yeah. I'm asking every single time, Hey, we're going to be here. I don't know if we can necessarily hunt it tomorrow, but we might want to hunt it sometime this week. We want to look at it a few more times. Is there any way I can lock this down for the next four or five days? Mm -hmm. Um, it's not as easy to get that permission, but you don't know if you don't ask. And I ask every time. Yeah. And now part, part of that is from knowing these, hunt, these farmers for a while now too. Like, I mean, we have cell phone numbers of farmers that we've hunted on for years, you know, and, That's right. um, you know, we treat them right too, you know, they take care of us, you know, we'll, you know, donate a, a dinner to them or, you know, whatever the case, bring them be. a case of beer. Yeah. A lot of them like to drink beer while they're on their combine. <laughs> what, what Canadian doesn't like to drink beer. So what I, what I was curious about, so this is kind of a good tidbit of scouting information. So I don't know what they do in Canada on row crop, but like here, if you know, the guy is a full-time row cropper, he has to farm 1500 acres ish to make money, enough money to feed the family. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're talking to him and you get permission, he has other ground. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what they need up there. So, oh, I mean, yeah. See what I mean? They have a, a ton. Right. I mean, I mean, a ton. Um, and most of the time, the person you're talking to is a hired hand on okay. a tractor. You know, they're not even the ones, right. you know, doing the, the work out in the field. Because when we're up there, it's always harvest. They're right. always out in the field doing something. And it feels like you're trying to pull them off a tractor, whereas down here you pull a farmer. Oh, no, tractor, that's a big no-go. It could be bad. Yeah, bad. that's a no-go. Up there. Hey, how you doing? Great right. to see you. Come on in for dinner. <laughs> right. 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 It's completely different mentality. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Just... Damien's just messaged me. They just lost power at his place. There's a big storm rolling through. <laughs> so you guys keep talking to make this easy on me. All right. <laughs> it's all right. The show must go on. Yeah. So when you guys come up to Canada, do you guys have, it doesn't sound like you, um, Oh, he just got power back. Um, it doesn't sound like you guys have to get a guide service. Do you, or a resident? No, no. So no we, we like doing things on our own. Honestly. On your, yeah. yeah. So, I don't know if you've seen it, but the, uh, the regs have changed now and it, you guys aren't allowed to bring the meat back into the America. Do you think that that's going to change the amount of Americans coming up and doing that? I bet there's more. <laughs> more. Yeah. What? Yeah. I, I guess I don't understand the purpose of this and, and why they implemented this. I mean, the birds just flying South, right? Yeah. And I think it's not, it's not, it's not the like they flew. It's not like I, they're hitting a big wall and, and turning around. Right. Yeah. You're right. You cross that line and now we're different. Yeah. Yeah. Have to have to use the arrive can app to come back. And yeah. So you know, the know. first time this avian thing, ha I think they did the same thing. I think this has happened before. We were talking about this. Yeah. This, this kind of flu thing started happening. Um, It was 10, 12 years yeah, ago. Yeah, it was a while ago. So I'm having a hard time remembering, but they put the big thing out about cleaning them with rubber gloves on and cooking them thoroughly and yeah, yeah, and that obviously just makes me weary, mm -hmm. you know, when you're having to put rubber gloves on to potentially eat something that just seems kind of weird to me. But yeah. by the way, I have a business that sells uh, PPE, nitro <laughs> gloves. And so if you are looking to get those, reach out to me. Anyway, I'm joking. Go ahead. I, I don't think this stuff transfers, though, so I don't know. I never worried about it. I, I will say this, that. that when we've, it is ridiculous the amount of times we've been back behind a hotel or wherever it is that we're staying and somebody will be driving by or walking through and they're like, well, you guys really got after them today. What are you going to do with all those? And we're like, would you like some? And we're like, we'll take them all. 
you know, so we've never had any problem with right. donating any of the birds to the locals if they want them or if they ask for it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of what we talked about a couple episodes ago was like, wouldn't it be great if they kind of relaxed some stuff so that we could actually donate the meat to like food banks up here and, yeah. you and guys stuff like that. that. It, we got a message from the, one of the health inspector, food inspector kind of guys saying that that's something that they're looking at doing and it's coming back, but no, we don't. Wow. Don't do um, that up here. We used to donate some long time ago. This is 10 years ago um, to the Hutterite colonies. Um, and then I, then I believe one of them actually got caught like Ixinian goose meat with, with their, <laughs> to make their bologna. They were mixing oh, like no. 25% oh, and, no. the, and the feds caught them doing that because they're selling it. Obviously. Right. Um, so obviously, but they would, they didn't want you to clean them. They wanted you to bring them because they wanted to use the feathers and they wanted to use, you know, the, the wings, they, the, all sorts of different stuff for what they're using I, for. I, I had this idea. guy from Laos or something and he would not take them cleaned. He wanted the whole bird. Yeah. And if they were fresh, he would use the blood, all kinds of stuff. It wow. wouldn't yeah. surprise me if the I, they made some kind of too, soup. But... Yeah. I, I've seen more and more fishermen asking me for like, oh, that's a nice mallard there. Can I? can I get some of the feathers off of it for tying their own flies? And then I looked up, there was a video on like how to get the, the right amount of feathers off of your bird for, for fly fishing. And surprisingly, there's a lot of feathers used in fly tying. I was, I was quite pleased to see it. So I don't know enough fishermen to give that many birds away <laughs> to, but yeah. yeah. So I would say this is probably the year to go to Canada. Oh, the, with yeah. the fuel prices last, last year. Last year with COVID, I heard it was dead. Um, this year, same, you know, same people that aren't going still aren't going and fuel prices are even higher. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't. It'll be empty. Yeah. That, that was going to be my next question is like with these fuel Plan prices, do you, are you guys still planning to come up this year? No, nope. it, it's it's the fuel prices I think are going to are going to stop people. I know a few a few guys are not guiding this year just because they don't think they're going to get the clients. So that's yeah. A lot of the guides Our, around here, they rely on Americans coming up. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, for yeah. sure. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the towns do. I mean, yep. they, the amount of money that the you know guys from the states bring in for two months out of the year. Um, I mean, just even at the like the local restaurants or you know bars, hotels, you know everything. There's just a lot of money coming into the community and a lot of tax money, and you know it helps everybody out. Your yeah, government I, doesn't seem to care about that much uh next question <laughs> <laughs> no and our reason for coming up and we talked about this a little bit off the air before we started recording the podcast but our reason for coming up has nothing to do with the fuel no, prices no 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 that I, I guess i meant that more as an open like do you think yeah but it i do think that the fuel prices are going to change and i'm i think it's going to change the amount of people out scouting like um two three years ago we saw a big influx of uh, new young hunters, like, you know, 17, 18, 19 year olds just getting in and the group of them getting together and, and you know, they're starting out with a basic starter pack of mm -hmm. getting decoys and stuff together. And I was, it was great to see, but I'm kind of wondering like, man, are they going to be wanting to put all those hours into the road scouting for birds? That's fuel prices are high, right? Like, In theory, the scouting should be easier now. You know, got less pressure and, yeah. you know, less people out there driving around. And so it should be, in, in theory, easier yeah. to find the birds to where you're not spending as much money in fuel, but you still got to do it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it will not be the year to buy decoys. <laughs> no. 
you know, yeah. and, and that's something that we've seen too, is that the prices, especially by the time they come up here and the, cool. the border gets their uh, little, the little cut, right. Uh, a lot of these prices have gone up pretty, pretty big. Um, Damien might know better. I think he got a, a little talk about how much they've gone up or how much they're going up in this area, but it, there's going to be some sticker shock when those prices start actually coming up. Right. It's, it's close to double here. Yeah. And that's yeah. it. It kind of July and August is when the prices start showing up because a lot of these guys aren't having this stuff in stock all year long. They're July. It shows up and then this, they show what it's worth now. It's like, Damien, do you know, you're still muted Damien, but did, did you talk to Pat about what they were seeing? Um, yeah. Uh, so what I'm hearing right now, and not going to throw out the names of any brands, but I bet you, if you're looking for an outfitter pack of full body, uh, Canada's, you're going to be paying close to a grand for them up here in Canada. Yeah, they're about eight here right now. Yeah. That's like $2 yeah. American though, boys. So don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it looks like your average ducks are going to be two to two twenty a dozen this year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, people. Yeah, that, that right I, there is going to stop people from. I said it. average. The average good duck decoy has gone up so much from mm -hmm. 15 years ago. So if yeah. you take something like a Dakota and Avian or whatever, but they look like they're about you're going to see 110 a six pack. -ish. You'd be better off going onto Facebook Marketplace and seeing those who are ready to say, "I'm done hanging it mm -hmm. up." You know, well, and it could be the yeah. demise of the full body. Everybody goes to running flats. Could be that's but, true. I mean, it's so cheap to make a corrugated. Mm -hmm. cardboard yeah. or whatever that material is which I, is I i think you're going to see i think you're going to see the outfitters and and the big and the big players i think they'll they'll still go uh running the full bodies but for a 21 year old kid that's that's looking to get into this there, there's no way there's yeah. no way that they that they can they cannot with everything else now you know you look at the pressure and i'll say pressure but it's not real pressure but if you look at the clothing companies that are out there now, that the gear, all of this stuff, like they're just an 18 year old kid is led to believe I need to wear all of this. I need to have all of this gear. I need to have these decoys in order to be successful. And, and an 18 year old kid is not going to be able to afford to get in to waterfowling the way that it's perceived. And, and that's my opinion. He better cut a lot of barley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i don't know if we brought this up and and i don't know where we are because my internet's all screwed up but i wanted to talk to you a little bit about the show and and the question i like it, it's phenomenal it's phenomenal work the cinematography is is amazing and that's what I, I really really like the cinematography uh that's going on in the angles and stuff but you guys sort of alluded to it at the beginning of this of this show, um, where you're, you know, you'll you'll take a day off if it means finding the the right the right roost or the right field, whatever it is. Talk to like, do you guys feel stress on on producing a a great episode? Like, and I get it, not every episode is going to be a banger, but is is there a a, a pile of stress that comes with? producing a show i'll start off and then i'll let logan kind of go from there but uh i would say yes there's always stress right mm -hmm. like at the end of the day it's a waterfowl hunting show people are tuning in to watch us you know harvest birds 
I don't think it's as much stress today as, as it was in the beginning for a couple okay. different reasons. One of which in the beginning, you knew what you knew, right? And you know, the, the mindset for us was like, we're in the very beginning if for us to make a bang, you know, we're going to have to show stellar hunts every single time. But in the course of the last nine years, and we're getting ready to produce season 10 is, you know, the people who really, the hardcore people who love Heartland Waterfowl are those who love the storyline that then show the honest, authentic experience that, you know, hey, when we shoot and we miss, as much as we really hate watching that in a rough cut before we release it to the <laughs> network, we put it on there because it's real. Um, and and <clears throat> we can't control the migration, you know, in the last couple of years, at least in our area, you know, the migration has been behind a little bit by a couple months. Or a month mm -hmm. or so. I remember this last year. We had a really successful season nine, but we had to work twice as hard to find those pockets of where the birds were at, you know. And so, by telling a true, authentic experience, we have found that it doesn't really matter. Um, I mean, you still have to kill birds, but you know, the the people who really enjoy the show are those who enjoy the authenticity, as opposed to the amount of you know the amount of birds that we put in a pile. What would you? Yeah. How would you like to I, I elaborate mean, on that? Yeah, you hit that right on the head. I agree 100%, 100%. The other thing I would say is that like for me, when we started the show is like my focal point was, Hey, we got to go out there and shoot the birds right in everybody's face. You know, we want to show us harvesting as many as we can get the best kill shots we can. Whereas the, the flip side is that we're always, we were always worried about, do we have enough footage on the cinematography side? Do we have enough time lapses? You know, do we have enough scouting footage? What we call is B-roll. The B-roll mm -hmm. stuff. And, and that's really what makes the show, right? And yeah, kind of for of what, when it clicked for me was like, I don't know, season two, three, four, somewhere in there, we were in Colorado and we shot, we were there for a week and we shot like 16 birds, just a bunch of unlucky scenarios. And the episode turned out incredible. Phenomenal. It was awesome. Great episode. And it was like, all right. It's not, you don't need to shoot a hundred birds on camera for us to make a good episode. In fact, we won a golden moose award. One of these right here. Uh, a golden moose. A golden moose award. Yeah. Is that a Canadian thing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we may have ripped it. They may have ripped it off from Canada. But anyway, uh, that episode that Logan is talking about, we won a golden moose for best wing shooting TV show from that episode. And we only shot like 16, 20 birds in that entire trip. So over the court, you guys have been going on for nine or 10 years, right? Yep. Have you found that you've had to change some of like how you present your story over those 10 years? Like things have changed, especially in the last couple of years with like, you know, YouTube videos are getting shorter. TikToks are only like, well, they were a minute. Now they're like three or four, but people are starting to want to see just like quick snippets. Are you guys finding you had to change anything based on that? We haven't changed anything. I don't think, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, there's always change. I shouldn't say that we haven't changed anything. I mean, we've continued to try to challenge ourselves to evolve with the cinematography, whether it's new equipment or different ways of which we're shooting or create or uh, capturing the content. And so we're always challenging ourselves to be more creative on that end. Um, I think what you're talking about, though, is on the distribution side. And so, we, yes, we have challenged ourselves to be more aggressive with the YouTube distribution and other digital distribution, whether it's social platforms. Um, we're already at a disadvantage because we are hunters showing guns and ammo mm -hmm. and, you know, killing. And so a lot of the Silicon Valley companies that own these platforms are anti that, right? So we're already at a disadvantage there. 
So, you know, we, we, we were also at a disadvantage at the very beginning on the YouTube stuff because the network of which we're, you know, buying the airtime from would strong arm us and what we could do outside of what we were doing with them. And so they had come out with their own digital app that was, you know, uh, distri distributing content. And so they wanted to really strong arm us on how much content we could put out outside of what we were doing contractually with them. I think that they, as they were starting to lose producers and and seeing that this digital animal is pretty big, that they were going to have to figure out a way to play nicer in the sandbox. And so they've given us a lot more freedom now, <clears throat> not only to put episodic content uh, for what we're filming for them on our YouTube channel, but also given us the ability to create original content that we are putting on our YouTube channel. So yeah, there's always, there's always changes and things that are going to come up in this digital world that we live in is always evolving and changing. It seems like the minute you get it figured out, then they've changed it and they've taken it in a whole nother direction. Yeah, to go along with that, one of the biggest things that we've done is last year, we started to film our episodes on YouTube and then literally release it that day. So what we're hunting that morning got released that night. So it's literally real time when we're on our trips. Um, Dakota and Q come on the trips and do all that for us. Um, but we've challenged ourselves for that because there's nobody else really doing that. Um, right. Literally, we're filming it that morning and it's coming out that night. So you're seeing exactly what happened that morning when we were out in the field. And um, to me, that's the, the biggest change. Um, and, and that's fun. It's, it's a lot of fun. And I think our viewers have really, really liked that. Um, as far as like going on different trips and, you know, people want to see, you know, us shoot sea ducks or go and do something different. Um, you know, we try to, um, for, as, you know, as much as we can, but in reality, like we're in the heartland, you know, obviously from Canada all the way down right here in the Mississippi central flyway, it doesn't get much better. So it's like, no. you know, why, why would I not go to Kansas? It's, it's one of the best places to hunt in the country. Why you would, were, you know, why wouldn't I go to North Dakota? You, know? you had asked that question earlier. Why do we come to Canada when we have a great flyway right here? Mm -hmm. and we can, but we also like showing the, the, because everybody who watches Heartland Waterfowl doesn't necessarily live in the heartland. You know, they right. may live in Pennsylvania. You know, we were on Sportsman Canada, you know, so there are, I wanted to ask you that. Are you getting our content from YouTube or do you watch us on the Sportsman's channel in Canada? I get it from YouTube. Okay. Yeah. You get Sportsman Channel Canada up there? I, I don't I don't subscribe to it because I get it I get it from YouTube. Sure. You know what I mean? Fair enough. No, I mean that's fine. I just wanted to let everybody know that we also even though we're on Sportsman Channel in the States, we're, there's also a network in Canada called Sportsman Channel. Yeah. And so we do air our uh, new episodes on that network as well. Um tell, tell them about YouTube, Ronnie. Like if they don't know you have a show yeah. on YouTube because it's a fantastic it's mm -hmm. super high quality. Well, I appreciate that. It, yeah. It, yeah. We, so Logan already hit on it. One of the things that we really wanted to do was make sure that we were, because it all comes back to the sponsors, right? If yeah. we don't have sponsors and if they're not paying us money, then we don't have the luxury of being able to travel across the country to show the versatility of all the different hunts in different parts of the States and, you know, even beyond in, in Canada. So you got to have that financial support. Well, in order to get the financial support, you got to show the value. Well, the value's got to now today, as opposed to what it was 10 years ago, you can't just be a TV show. So you got to be able to show value outside of that with your di digital distribution. So that is where we challenged ourselves to create content and original series for YouTube. Now we're about to have a meeting next week where we're going to continue to change this. I guess you used the word change. It's going to change. It's going to evolve in ways that we can play nicer 
in the sandbox with YouTube, because in order to be successful on YouTube, you got to kind of play the YouTube game, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And as much as we would like to show a polished production of everything that we did that morning and release it that night, you know, so like, let's hypothetically say we're in North Dakota. We've been promoting on our social channels, like, hey, we're going to be up in North Dakota. What we did today, you're going to see tonight or tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. Well, the guys in Missouri might be hunting and sitting in the blind. The birds aren't flying and they're sitting there going, man, the birds aren't here yet. But I saw on Instagram, Heartland Waterfowls in North Dakota. I wonder what the birds are like up there. I wonder if they've come down, if they're getting into them. Well, they can literally then go to our YouTube channel yeah. right there on their phone, pull it up and they can see how well we performed um, or what our success rate was, you know, from from that day or the day before. It's it's funny that you bring that up because I, I mentioned this to Bobby like two days ago. Uh, we were chatting and I was like, man, I love I loved her video. It was nice and short, um, you know, wasn't dragged out too long and stuff. And he was like, and Bobby said to me, he was like, you know, that that was shot in the morning. There's a guy in the truck as they're driving, editing this and it goes out that night. And I'm like, no. And he yeah. was like, yeah, 100 percent. That's what's happening. Those edits for that little bit. Of, I don't know if he does it in. He doesn't do it in the truck. He does it when we get back to the lodge or wherever we're staying, the hotel, whatever it might be. But yeah, yeah. that was the, that was the approach we wanted to take because as we understood, no one else in the industry was doing that. Nope. Uh, And, and, and it, trust me, it, you don't become successful doing anything if it's easy, otherwise everybody would do it. Right. So we (laughs) knew it was going to be a challenge. And when we, we started off doing it, we were, you know, we were still trying to navigate and figure it out. And I told all the sponsors, I said, look, this is a very aggressive approach that we're going to take, but have some grace with us, you know, in the beginning, because it's going to take some time to kind of have us figure it out. And that being said, you know, Dakota was staying up until sometimes three or four o'clock in the morning, editing these videos, releasing it. Then he's trying to get an hour or two of sleep before he's got to get back up and then go back out in the field with us the next day. Mm-hmm. So it was a grind, but as we got, you know, halfway through the season, you know, he kind of figured out, okay, this is what works. This is what different doesn't work. And, and we were able to get those videos turned around and released by, you know, 10, 11 o'clock central time. Mm-hmm. So then he could get a good night's sleep and then he's able to perform better because he's good. A good, got a good night's rest you know, go, going into the next hunt the next day to go from capturing the hunt, thinking about your edit on the way back to the lodge and then editing that out around dinner. Mm-hmm. It's a really good edit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, for what he's like, it's a good edit. The other aspect to it is if you have, let's say the birds don't fly that morning, right? We still have to put an episode out. Right. Whether we show parts of that and add in, I don't know, other sponsor stuff or something uh, instructional, informational, product yeah. overview, something like that. There's other stuff that we can add in. But for the most part, like we're wanting to showcase what we're doing. You know, we want to you know, creative, tell our stories. Like we're average guys, just like everybody else that's going out and hunt. And that's where we're going to go in this next. So I I guess it would be called season two of the YouTube original series from Heartland Waterfowl is that the goal is to not, not exclude what we're doing in the hunting side, because obviously again, that's why people enjoy, but it's more like, Hey, let's show something more raw. Let's pull the curtain back and let's kind of show what does life look like on the road for Heartland Waterfowl, as opposed to just a hunt. And, mm-hmm. and that's where we're going to really challenge ourselves going into this next season. Have wow. you ever had it where like you see fishermen, if they catch a big fish at like around here, a good spot would be Denny's dam. And they post a picture and you can see Denny's dam in the background. <laughs> you get all these other fishermen pissed <laughs> off. Have you ever had it where you hunted a public marsh, you post the video that night and then 10 guys are there the next morning. Like, 
or like 10 guys are pissed off at you for blowing out their spot for the next day. Like, have you ever had that kind of, <laughs> which we went into it trying to be cognizant of that, but there's times where you make a mistake and yeah, there, there's been, but it's incredible. Find people regardless of where you hunt or where they live, somebody will find something to bitch about. And I it hate, can be the dumbest little oh, thing. I 100%. hate hunting power. <laughs> yeah. We, I, there was one episode we put out too. And, we literally had 10 people message us. Saw you hunting there mile south of Route J this morning. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, okay. <laughs> and we're not one of these guys um, or, or TV shows that puts the full wrap on our truck or the full wrap on our trailer that just basically screams, we're Heartland Waterfowl and here we are. You know, we actually try to be a little incognito, but right. um but yeah, I mean, they might see a Heartland Waterfowl three inch sticker on our back window or, you know, on our you know back corner of the trailer, it'll have a small little decal that says Heartland Waterfowl and people figure it out pretty quick. I bet. I think, I think you guys need to do more B-roll of those reverse sear ribeye rib steaks, mm-hmm. because I think that's stuff that, you know, doing it from a skillet in a, in a hotel room. That's that's money, right? That's nobody is like like you guys have said, nobody has shown that side of things because everybody thinks that it has to be birds exploding in the air uh, as opposed to showing the real life uh, things on the road. So I, I'm I'm pretty. Uh, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what you guys, you are know, I, I appreciate you bringing up the reverse here because one, I make them mean reverse your ribeye <laughs> i was one doing the kicking in that so I, i'll yeah. take that as a compliment one two it's funny how you'll hear you you rarely get the people like yourself saying right there like hey i really enjoyed that that was really cool you know like yeah. when you go buy a gallon of milk at the grocery store you don't call up the grocery store and say this was the best gallon of milk i've ever had <laughs> but if it's sour you're gonna let them know right That's so right it's there. i use that as the example is you would be surprised how many people would message us and say and then i want to make it out like it's thousands of people but a handful that would say why are you making the ribeye and not making the duck that you shot or the goose that you shot i mean just trying to find something to something complain about to right it, it's, yeah, it's yeah. unbelievable dave i think i know where you're going i'm not going there oh, okay not gonna do it go for it i i no well we've dealt with scared. it when We've I been dealing with it lately, like um, just, and Damien and I had a couple of big talks about it where the only thing we really hear about is the negative side of it. And then a few little, but it's starting to be where more and more people are, are private messaging us and they're talking about like, Hey man, great episode. Thank you. So like, you know, and they'll private message us that stuff, but the people that are upset with us won't do that. And they'll post it publicly. And it's just like, you know, okay, I get it. That's just the times. Yeah, it's really. just the times we're in, yeah. right? Haters so, are gonna hate. Yeah. Well, that that doing. wasn't exactly what I was gonna. What I thought you were gonna hit on, Dave. When I heard a gallon of milk, I immediately thought about. So, uh, back in March, we had done a show. Um, we had the guys from First Light, um, come up and do a snow goose hunt with us. Uh, when they were trialing their new gear. And we had made the mention, and and you guys would have known Logan and, and Ronnie from your time out in Canada, but we don't buy gallons of milk. Our milk comes in in these one liter bags. And when we were talking to the boys from First Light, they were just like, what? Your milk comes in a bag? Yeah, we buy bags of milks. We buy bags <laughs> of milk. And and it was, and it became the theme for the for the entire weekend was like. You guys are crazy. Like 
you buy bags of milk and then you have to buy a jug to put your bag of milk in. Why don't you just buy a jug of milk? Just like what we did. And it was just, it became a whole thing for the weekend. Gotcha. It became pretty funny. Um, <laughs> and nope. as soon as I heard a gallon of milk, that's, that's what I thought of. The, the last time that we brought that up, <laughs> the last time I brought it up with Logan, he was just like, no more. No, that's enough. I'm like, so I've stopped. That's why I had to, <laughs> oh, I had to think. Sure. Yeah. Awesome. Boys, I don't know where we are for time because my clock is totally screwed up. So I, I, yeah. Yeah, go for it. Okay. Well, so what I wanted to know is how did you get this all started? Like, did we really cover that? Like, because Damien and I are thinking about doing some filmed hunts, but nothing to the extent you guys are doing. Like, we're, we're just going to do it on our own kind of thing. But did you, one of you just look at the other and be like, yeah that was a good hunt. We should film these or, or how did that get started? And then how did it evolve into having like camera people and, and the production that it is now? Well, you can actually get that entire story on episode 10 of the Papa Ron podcast. <laughs> you know, I dropped that in there. Right? No, yeah, go ahead. Job. Guys, that's, feel a professional, free to, that, that's a professional right there. Uh -huh. Ryan, feel free to drop whatever, right? Like, yeah. Uh, no, but so most people know, and if they don't, um, we are an extension of another brand that has been very successful on the air called Heartland Bowhunter. And there are a couple of guys that Logan actually went to school with and is known since, uh, Sean, for example, is known since his childhood. Um, and, you know, for me, I my background is in radio. I worked uh, in radio for 22 years, 10 of it here in the Kansas City metro. And I got to a place in my career where I felt like I'd hit my ceiling and wanted to figure out how I could parlay a lot of that media marketing uh, sales experience into a passion, which was the outdoors and, and my passion for waterfowl hunting. And there's a whole long story to it, but you know, the short of the story was I was able through my wife's family connect with Mike Hunsucker, who's part owner of Heartland Bowhunter form a relationship. They found areas of which I could be of value to them from my experience working in radio to heart to help Heartland Bowhunter. And then they had always kind of had a vision for creating an extension of their brand. And it was originally supposed to be a fishing show, but then it just made sense when they knew Logan who cared more about waterfowl hunting and he was already filming and had the experience. And then I had all this other kind of business experience, if you will, and had a passion for waterfowl hunting that way brought us together and then from there, it was like, yeah, let's give it a try. And we actually, about, I don't know, a year and a half, two years, we went out there and tried to do this thing. And it was, you know, it was tough because, you know, we're trying to figure out each other's personalities. We're figuring out how we're going to hide these cameras. Killing birds wasn't the problem. It was how do we do it and then stay true to the Heartland Bowhunter brand? Because to be mm -hmm. an extension of them, they were the gold standard. Like anybody can go out and film a hunt. But now mm -hmm. we're going to have the luxury, if you will of being extension of the brand, but we've also got a, a certain bar now that we got to reach in order to do it. So it took two years for us to go out there and, and get to know each other and film and get that experience before we even released an episode to the network. You got anything you want to add to that? I mean, that, that covered pretty much covered it all. It, I mean, if you're wanting to go out and start filming hunts, just start doing it. That's the best thing I can say is get a camera in your hand whenever you can, whether that's just messing around at home and, and get good at it and just, keep doing it and watch a lot of content too i mean <clears throat> for for me anyway it was like okay i watched a lot of heartland bowhunter because you anybody can pick up a camera and hit record and just start filming but what how are they capturing those certain shots you know so to completely understand what white balance is what your you know what your iso is you know um um what i'm 
forgetting all of them, aperture. but aperture, aperture, all of the stuff, you know, like how are they, you know, are they run into Delo, a shallow depth of field or they, you know, just anyway, the point is, is that you can pick up the camera, learn the four basic fundamentals of the camera, watch a lot of content on how people are capturing that content. And then it kind of gets the creative juices going in your head when you're in the field, you're like, okay, I don't want to just record this shot for the sake of recording it. How can I make it the mm -hmm. most cinematic shot I could possibly can? And don't be photography is like good photography in motion. It is. It's 100% that. Yeah. So I would tell you to learn photography. Yeah. There's a lot of truth to that as well. Well, I was talking to Bobby the other day and he was geeking out on this, on this lens. And he's like, check this out. And he's got his camera and a lens. And I'm like, yeah, nice lens uh, because I have no idea. And he was, and he's telling me the number. I said, Bobby, buddy, you could have made up any number and I would have been just what as impressed. It? Uh, it was a, I shoot an icon. So it was the S series 85 millimeter, one eight, the prime. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. Prime lenses are it's awesome. Very and nice lens. So, and then Bobby has to give me a, a, a quasi lesson on, on, <laughs> <laughs> on a little tutorial. how much light, yeah. On how much light this is letting in and stuff. And that, you know, it's, it's like you guys were saying, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and there is so much that, Listen, not taking anything away from anybody, just like you said, Logan, go out, record everything, get used to the camera and just do it. You don't you don't have to be a master uh, from the day you start. But there is a ton to learn if you want to put out quality. You'd be surprised how many people started with just the camera and their cell phone. Mm -hmm. they're, they're actually decent quality compared to you would be surprised at all the success people have on youtube from a cell phone it's unbelievable it makes us right. it makes us think that we're doing the wrong thing sometimes so, so let me you ask you this you guys put out all high quality content mm. i only post good photography right can you make yourself put a phone video up somewhere i can't i just can't do it not for tv i can't you do know? it on youtube i just <clears throat> can't make myself it's so hard like I have, we're just not programmed. Like yeah, I have a, a holding a phone I to do myself too. And, and hitting record and then talking to the phone. Like I, I'm just, that's just not me. You're sitting there going, I know those videos kind of, eh, and the sound is, eh, and I have a better I one. I just feel so cheesy. I know. Well, you know? I mean, if we're being fair, the technology and today's cell phones oh, have better. come a long, long way to where you can actually manipulate. Are you going to film this in 24 frames per second and 60 frames per yeah. second, whatever it might be 4k, uh, because, you know, cell phone cameras out there can actually film in 4K now, too. So and then you got the slow motion stuff that the kid, you know, back when we first started, cell phones didn't didn't do uh -huh. that. So we're just not programmed to do that. But I will right. also say this, like we're, when we started, if you look at season one of Heartland Waterfowl and then you go and watch season nine, there is a drastic difference. And the technology that we were using then, when I say technology, the quality of the camera you know, has evolved and, you know, we've graduated from a lot of what we were using back then to what we're using today as well. Yeah. Makes sense. Your ears hurt. No, that's it's like going in and out. Oh, weird. Awesome. You got a short. Yeah. I feel like I do. I'm trying to, hmm. the, the other thing that you guys might be surprised about is how much, um, how many people are out there that have put on a decent quality YouTube video and because they didn't have the right, you know, whatever you call that picture to start or the right tags or, or whatever, it just didn't become popular. And there's there's actually some decent quality stuff out there that people might never see. 
because mm-hmm. of the you thumbnail know. just saying, the right? thumbnail or w- yeah. whatever it is that doesn't make it catch yeah. on you, right it you gotta you gotta play the algorithm and that's, that's i mean that's yeah. the struggle for our brand is to play the algorithm while also staying true to our brand and that's yeah. where we struggle with with the youtube thing mm-hmm. versus you know saying what's the key lines you got to say like it swipe <laughs> yeah no like it hit it. the notification like subscribe follow. smash that like button yeah. or whatever everyone says. i will not do it yeah it, <laughs> look again you know we could look at this a couple different ways we can be stubborn and say give youtube the big middle finger and keep putting our stuff up there but if we're going to do it then we got to position ourselves to be successful at it and so in order to do that you somewhat have to play the youtube game but you have to figure out a way to do it that is still true to your brand. And that's where I think I'm excited about this new season that we're going to launch on YouTube because there's going to be a little bit more of that going on. You know, we're going to, we're going to still be Heartland Waterfowl true to who we are, but in order for us to be successful in the YouTube space, we got to, we got to play well in the sandbox. And I think um, we're going to do it in a way that is, you know, unlike what you may have seen before from others. Yeah. I was just more bringing it up so that, people aren't discouraged and like, Oh, you know, my first five videos didn't do well. I I didn't get my 50 subscribers. Right. Like when Damien and I, when we started this YouTube channel for us, like our 51st subscribers were just fake accounts that I made. So, you know, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Um, he's joking. He's just joking. No, Um, (laughs) fellas. Um, you know what? I, this is awesome. And, and it's been a great show. We're at that 60 minute mark at least, um, and probably over a little bit more, but I I'd love to extend the invitation to have you guys come on again yeah. because, um, it's some really, really great. It's a really great conversation to have with people when, when it's, there's nothing to hide and, and you just say it how it is. And, and you talk about the advantages, disadvantages, the good, the bad. And I think that's what, we need more of, um, especially when it's coming from big brands like like yourself or big names like yourself. It, it sort of, it gives it gives a a, a sense of, um, I don't. Know, it's okay. Humility. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, well, go for let it. Let me let me just echo that because I know we're in closing. The one thing that I will tell you that about Heartland Waterfowl is that we're never going to be that concept that says we're the experts, we're professional hunters, and this is how you should do it at home. Nobody's got a card in their wallet that says I'm a professional waterfowl hunter. Yeah. And just because we're on TV doesn't mean that we're professionals. It just means yeah. that we really like capturing our content or capturing our experiences um, for distribution. And, um, you know, we, we always want to be authentic and be relatable to that person who is what I like to call the weekend warrior who maybe has to scout, uh, to and from work so that Mm -hmm. they can find that field. So on that one day, when the weather conditions are just perfect, he can get all of his buddies together and go have a banger hunt. Um, that's the people that we want to relate to just because we do it on TV. Doesn't mean that this is how you should do it at home. It's just the way we do it. And there's a, there's a lot of different ways to be successful at waterfowl hunting. And and, and obviously depending on where you're at, it changes, right? Like how we do it in Missouri or Kansas might be different than somebody has to do it in North Dakota or Saskatchewan. And so we just, it's, it's a kind of a documentary to who we are as a group of men who love pursuing the migration. Love it. Love it. Um, 
let's let's do a quick round the table and give some last words to you guys and then we, and then we'll close it up so um bobby i'll start with you but i need to say thank you for for getting us yeah uh, thanks doing bobby the anytime doing the introduction here buddy i really appreciate it but let's start with you bobby on on any closing words what are we talking about whatever, whatever. you want whatever you want buddy. just saying bye yeah promote Ducklander and yeah I, I wasn't doing anything on this one i was just <laughs> having these guys on yeah but but you you chime in so so um tell us about give us something for Ducklander because you know we have a ton of people that that love Ducklander calls you've done a couple things for us in the past um it's sold really well so give us give us some Ducklander news tell, uh, tell them about the hybrid that's what i say i uh, I started, uh, we had a new call this year, which is a big deal because I don't add models very often. So mm -hmm. this one is, it's based on the little LT platform, but it is, runs like a cut down. So it's a J frame that runs like a cut down. So if you struggle on a full size cut down, this is a little bit easier call to run, but it's got okay. the same sound, same bark, same real raspy feed. So that's, uh, that's the newest thing I have out right now. Mm. And they find that on your website. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. on the website. And the website is ducklandercalls.com. Okay. <laughs> like, let let sign up for his newsletter. Hold his hand and walk him through the process. <laughs> like, yeah. like, follow, subscribe, comment, yeah. uh, <laughs> and and sign and sign up for the the, the Ducklander Tribe newsletter too. Yeah. Uh, more videos on social this year since they uh, tanked the algorithm oh. on photography, but. Yeah. So newsletter, if you want to know what's going on, that's a big deal for us. Big time. Yeah. Um, Logan. Um, I mean, we're starting to film here August 25th. We leave to go to North Dakota for their early goose season. Um, make sure you guys check us out on our, on our YouTube. We'll be posting videos, content every day, you know, live, just like we just discussed during the podcast. And um, then we're off and running filming season 10. So hopefully you guys can, join for the journey and obviously stay in touch with us. Let us know how your guys season is going up North and mm -hmm. uh, look forward to seeing how you guys do. Awesome. Dave, did I cut you off there, buddy? I'm sorry. No, I was just going to bring up that um, we're actually doing a new little thing called duck U, uh duck university. And uh, the first episode will actually air before this does on Monday. And Bobby's going to be doing a little bit of duck oh. call in there tonight. That's cool. It, yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're going to yeah. try and teach a little bit more. I, we kind of made that up because of, I don't know if you guys aren't following Ducklander and seeing some of the stuff that Bobby's putting out there, you got to get on it because you're going to learn so much. And, and we're trying to get off that a little bit and copy it to, for our own and have at it. Yeah. Bobby's one of the best on, on the education side and 100%. teaching how to blow and, a call properly. And, and that's why the first episode, we, we definitely, reached out to Bobby for that. So appreciate it. He's 100% the best. I will also, you know, to echo that, you know, when I first got into being, you know, working with Logan and producing Heartland waterfowl, you know, not a great waterfowl caller, even though, you know, a part owner and executive producer of the show, I love waterfowl hunting, but I think there's this stigma, like in order to have a TV show, then you have to be a world champion duck caller or a world mm -hmm. champion goose caller. And that's just not who we are. We're about scouting. We're about, you know, the experience. We're about putting ourselves on the X and, and telling that true authentic experience, as I alluded to earlier. But I will say this, that brings us kind of full circle is um, I learned more about blowing a duck call in literally five minutes than I learned from 
anybody in my entire life that I came across in the industry. He is got a way of explaining it in a dumbed down layman's terms that where you just, the light goes off. And then, I mean, I can literally sit there in your shop and you can say, okay, instead of doing that, try this. And within seconds, oh, that's, that's how you get that squeal or that's how you get that rasp, you know, whatever it might be. And Bobby is far done, uh, far and away the very best at, um, at, you know, teaching the basic fundamentals of waterfowl calling. Well, and the thing that it also, not to toot your horn anymore there, Bobby, but <laughs> he, he's got a little, uh, I don't know, is the Facebook group still running where you help people learn how to call? There was a Facebook yeah, it Yeah, but social has changed so yeah. much. It's just nobody and, sees anything. So yeah, for a little it, while it's there. It's so bad right now. Yeah. We're getting shadow banned like no other on our Instagram page. It's so bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bobby had a little um, help calling group. I forget the name of it, but um, people would post up a video and there'd be no judgment. Just they'd be like, here, here's my calling and how can I improve? And I'm like, man, without being near somebody, how do you? And then all of a sudden Bobby's posting a video response like, oh, here, this is, you know, hopefully this helps you. Here's what you're doing. And this is how you can improve. Right. And it, and man, that props to you for being able to do that and taking the time, especially like for a little while there, it was like a new video every couple hours, it seemed so. Yeah. Like I said, just nobody sees anything anymore. Right. Yeah. Uh, And I, I am just not a lover of reels yet. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know what I do on one to add any, sort of value. just good value in the waterfowl community but regardless of where I, yeah. you can get that content the yeah. thing i will have i will also say that bobby's really good at is like he's really good about responding to people on facebook messenger yeah. and mm-hmm. so even if you and i might we, be putting you out there no. but even if you like reached out to him directly with a video of you blowing the the judgment goes goes to the side and that's the other thing i hate about the waterfowl industry that there's so much judgment like oh, oh how many i killed this many ducks this year i you know like i'm the world champion i you know took second at nationals whatever no i don't give a shit about it yeah. right it's about should be about community it should be about all of us working together instead against one another and that's where bobby has got the same mindset and i think that if you reached out to him directly and said hey you know what do you think about this he could he could help you out i mean he puts together calling classes here locally and you can show up it don't matter if you're blowing a duck lander call or something else, mm-hmm. he wants to make sure that you have the best experience you possibly can to feel good about what you're out there trying to do. Wow. I want people to hunt better. Uh, if they're not killing anything, they're not going to keep buying a license. Mm-hmm. And that's not good for anybody. That's true. Yeah. So a little bit of selfishness. I try to keep the license full bigger or well, I can't survive. It all comes back to humility. Yeah. It really does. Well, you know, late to the millions and millions of listeners that we have of this show. Um, wow, good job. <laughs> Tell me um, how you're doing it. I just started a podcast. I need to figure that out. Um, you know, if, you, if you've gotten through 60 minutes of us talking directly Heartland Waterfowl, the last five minutes, uh, we've really pumped uh, Bobby's tires up here. Uh, so um, I can't, we can't say it enough because Bobby's been such a big supporter of us over the last couple of years. So obviously we're big fans and we want to push more people to them. Um, but don't just take our word for it. Just go check them out. And I promise you, you will be impressed and you'll be happy. And you'll find that everything that's being said here about Ducklander calls of Bobby Hayes is, is 100% uh, that's correct. Why we partnered with him. Yeah, that's right. Um, Ronnie, 
last word to you, buddy. What are you thinking? Yeah. I mean, Logan pretty much covered it, you know, but we were on, you know, all the social platforms. We haven't done the TikTok thing yet. I'm, I'm challenging the Alex who runs our social media to get that started, which is just one more thing that we got to you know pay attention to. But um, obviously we're on Sportsman's Channel. We air five days a week, 52 weeks a year on Sportsman's Channel in the States. I don't know how many of the people who listen to this podcast are from Canada or in the States, but we are also as I mentioned earlier with distribution on Sportsman's Channel in Canada. But of course, um, the big the big thing is also the YouTube and what we started last year and how it's going to evolve going into this next season. So, you know, follow us on Instagram, Facebook. It's easy to find us, Heartland Waterfowl, uh, YouTube. And like we said, you know, give us a subscribe and hit that notifications bell so that you can be alerted whenever we put up new content. Awesome. Dave, to you, buddy. Yeah, boys. Thanks a lot for coming on. This is it's good to talk to like my, I'm getting excited for season, you know, and this just amps that up. So thanks boys. Let's do it again. I a hundred percent. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. Uh, when you, when your internet's working a little better, Damien. <laughs> well, it, it's kind of, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, we could probably talk for another three hours, but Damien's like, Nope, 60 minutes. That's, that's the limit. So that, that's, that's where I uh, fail a podcast. I've got some three hour podcasts. Up there, so. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well, I want to, I want to save it, right? Cause it, it's, it's all about uh, getting you guys back. So if you've got a message that you haven't gotten out yet, I can cut it off now. And and then when I go to invite you back, you're like, Oh yeah, I got to come back. Cause I met, I wanted to talk about this. So I, yeah, I was just a to, method to my madness. Can Ronnie I, plug his podcast real quick? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely I was, can. Well, it's if not a mind, right? it, Yeah, no, I w- I'm happy to. It, it's not a hunting podcast, although there are episodes where we do talk about hunting. Um, and, but it's more of a, it's been described by some friends as a humanity podcast. So we, we talk about a wide, or, uh, discuss a wide variety of life experiences, military veterans who are suffering from PTSD to uh, people. Right here, bud. Really? There you go. Yeah. Well, you're going to find some pretty great content in there uh, with others that are going through that and what they're doing to combat that. Um, also people who are dealing with mental illness, uh, depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, uh, to, um, uh, human trafficking, uh, to a family who had a, a teenage daughter back in 2007, who was abducted and raped and murdered and the experiences that they went through with that and how they're turning that into a positive with, uh, starting a foundation an effort to get uh, legislation passed to, um, <clears throat> help people who ever abducted with having cell phone towers, ping cell phones to find the whereabouts of those people and getting that mm-hmm. passed in all 50 States. So it's a wide, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> a wide variety of different topics best, best explained as a kind of a humanity podcast where we really dive in deep into the trenches, pull back the curtain, get below the surface and talk about real life shit. So, so give the name and the look where people can listen yeah. to it. So you can find it on nearly all of your favorite podcast platforms, including YouTube. It's a video podcast called the Papa Ron podcast. My nickname is Papa Ron with the Heartland Waterfowl crew because I'm far and away the oldest guy on the team. Uh, so it's a crack at my age. Um, but uh, yeah, the Papa Ron podcast, you can find it on Spotify, video versions on Spotify and YouTube. And then you can also get the audio versions on Apple, Amazon, Google, and CastBox. There you go. Ladies and gentlemen, this was one episode 106 of the Union 0430. Like we always say, we are as advertised. We'll never pretend to be somebody that we're not. We are honest to God, a group of friends that love hanging out and just talking about hunting ducks and geese. Until next time, check out the Papa Ron podcast. Check out Heartland Waterfowl. 
I promise you, you're in for some good content. And hey, ring the bell on uh, subscribing to us too. There you go. That's a new one for you, boys. Ring the bell. Um, <laughs> ding, ding. ding, There it is. This is episode 100, 106. Big love, everybody. Until next episode. Ciao.